it last night. This is her one. Oh. Um. Sorry. Put this on. It's very confusing. Um. So that's what we talked about last night. Uh, and then today what we're going to talk about is, is building deep relationships with non-Christians. And then on Sunday morning we're going to talk about how you steer those, those deep relationships to the point where you can have conversations um, that Jesus would have had with people um, who he was concerned about. Um, so building deep relationships uh, with non-Christians, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, and, and I want to start with a personal story uh, about um, a time that I built a deep relationship um, with a non-Christian. So I, I had a non-Christian friend, um, and um, I, I one day worked up the nerve to ask him to Devo. Um, I'm an introvert, and um, I'm really scared of talking to people, uh, mostly because I put my foot in my mouth a lot of the time, so it's a big deal for me. So I asked him, and he said yes, and I was really excited. Um, and he came to Devo, and uh, he seemed to enjoy it. And so the next week, I asked him to come back to Devo, and he came back to Devo. And I kept asking him and asking him, and he kept coming back and back to Devo. And, and he, he came to Devo um, for a, a pretty good amount of time. Um, and, and this whole time, I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, because I just knew that at some point, he was just going to turn and ask me, hey, what's the deal with this Jesus guy? I just knew he was going to turn and, and, and ask me, hey, I think I'm ready to be baptized, or hey, can we study the Bible sometime? Or, or can I go talk to Micah, and will you come with me? And I just kept waiting for this thing to happen. And, and it never did. And I remember that one time, I, I asked him if he wanted to come to Devo, and he said no, that he was busy, he had something going on. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it. But as time kind of went on, and time went on, and I kept asking and asking, uh, the no's became more frequent until he hadn't been to Devo in a, in a while. And then it came to a point where it seems like he had lost interest in coming to Devo. I would ask, and, and he, he would say no. And then finally it got to a point where I wasn't interested in asking him if he wanted to come. Because I thought I knew what his answer would be. And so I just kind of, I kind of assumed and stopped asking him. Um, and, and the reason I share that story um, is because that is the entirety of my experience in building deep relationships with non-Christians. That's the entirety of my experience in building deep relationships with non-Christians. Um, so if you were wondering... I'm, I'm completely unqualified to speak on this topic from experience. Um, when I was getting ready to do this lesson, I wasn't so much asking, how can, how can I teach on building deep relationships with non-Christians? Instead, I was asking myself, what do I need to do to start building deep relationships with non-Christians? Because I think from what we've seen last night, that Jesus cared very much about building relationships with non-Christians. And I think from the way that I've lived my life, it's pretty evident that I haven't had that same concern. And so as I was going through it, I was asking myself this question. Um, and so while I'm, while I'm completely unqualified to speak on this from experience, I hope that you guys will listen to me and hopefully um, you guys will get something from this. Uh, so I, I want to start by defining what a deep relationship is. Um, we're going to be talking about deep relationships, we're talking about building deep relationships, but that's not going to mean much um, if, if, we can't, if we don't have a, a working understanding of what a deep relationship is. Um, so this is a definition that I came up with for, for deep relationships, um, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think it's something we can work with. A deep relationship is a relationship between two people where both people are totally comfortable sharing life with one another. A deep relationship is a relationship between two people where both people are totally comfortable sharing life with one another. 
And so I think the question you have to ask yourself next is, what does it mean to share life with somebody? Right? So what does that mean to you guys? If, I were to tell, if you were to share life with somebody else, what does that mean? What does it mean to share your life with somebody else? Your, your successes and your shortcomings. <laughs> things that you enjoy about life. And things that you enjoy about discussing those things. Sharing those things with others. Yeah. Talking openly about your successes and failures. What you think is good, what you think is bad. What else? Making time for them. Making time for them. What else? So it's sharing your life and, and then leaving that open to like suggestions and, and critiques and, and like um, what do you think I could be doing better and, um, and not being offended when they give you a suggestion. Um, I, I think that's good. Uh, I think those are all good definitions. What I, what I had down was something uh, being totally honest about what's going on in your life, um, what you're worried about, what you're excited about, what's going well, what's not going well, um, what your dreams are, what your hopes are, what your fears are, where you are in life, where you want to be. It's talking about these things that are really important to who we are as people. That's what sharing life is. And so a deep relationship is whenever you can, you can sit down with someone and you can have these kinds of conversations. You can share your life with one another. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about three things. We're going to talk about how to build deep relationships. We're going to talk about where to look when we're building deep relationships with non-Christians. And then lastly, we're going to ask the question of why we build deep relationships with non-Christians. What's our motivation for doing that? Um, so the first thing is how to build deep relationships. So we kind of have like a working framework now of, of, of what a deep relationship looks like. What do you guys think it takes to make a relationship like that? Do it? Time? Yeah, I think that's a big one. What else? Patience. Patience. Good. Dedication. Dedication. Perseverance. Good. Vulnerability. Do what? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yeah. Deep commitment to the other person is good before your own. Mm. So deep commitment to the other person is good before your own. Even that means sacrificing something of yourself. Yeah. Understanding. Understanding. Yeah. It's a big one. Trying to empathize with the other person. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think those are all, all good things, um, and and in some way or another, I think what you what kind of what you guys said fall into one of these three categories. When I was thinking about how to build deep relationships, there were three things in particular that stuck out to me that you need, um, and that deep relations kind of hinge on these three things. If you can't have these three things, it, it's it's really difficult, and in my opinion, impossible to have a deep relationship. Um, and those three things are vulnerability, commitment to the other person, and trust. Vulnerability, commitment to the other person, and trust. Um, so the first one is, is, is vulnerability. Um, we as humans are kind of funny creatures. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but my guess is that you probably can. Every morning I wake up and I, I kind of, no matter how I'm feeling, good or bad, I only let people see a limited picture of that, right? We always want to project that we have everything together, that everything's going well, that we're not too stressed about anything, that nothing's like really on our mind that's bothering us. We want to look like we have everything put together, and we're, we're scared of looking like we don't know what we're doing, or we don't know what to do, or that we have a problem that we can't handle by ourselves. 
And so every morning we wake up and we kind of put on this mask and everything that's fine. And I think a good indicator that that's the case is, I mean, when somebody walks past you and says, hey, how are you doing? What's your immediate answer? What's your, what's your immediate response? I am good. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm doing great. I, I, I cannot count the number of times I have been feeling terrible physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. And somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And my answer is, oh, I'm doing great. How about you? And, and it's, it's this mask that we wake up. And every morning, I wake up and put this mask on, and we only let people see a very limited scope of what's actually going on in our lives. And I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but that's something I do almost daily. And so I think the first thing that's required to build a deep relationship with somebody is willing to take that mask off. Right? Because if you're going to talk about your fears and, and what you're excited for and what you're worried about and what problems that you're having, if you hope to talk about those things in a way that's honest and open, you can't be worried about what the other person's thinking. You can't be worried about looking weak. You can't be worried about, hey, this person's going to judge me if they think I can't handle this problem on my own. Or, hey, I'm, I'm going to look bad if I'm stressed out about something or, or I'm worried about something. I'm going to look bad if I don't have things put together or if I have to admit that I don't know what I'm doing. And so I think the first thing we have to do is be willing to drop these masks in our relationships if we want them to be deep and be vulnerable with the other person. And I think that's a lot easier said than done because it's terrifying to drop that mask, isn't it? I mean, because I think the thing that we are scared of most, the reason that we wear that mask, is that other people are going to hate us just as much as we hate ourselves for messing up. I feel awful when I don't know what I'm doing in my life. And I judge myself for it, probably harsher than any of us will. But my biggest fear is that somebody else is going to judge me just as harshly as I judge me for messing up. When I wake up and I'm stressed out of my mind and I can't seem to calm myself down, I don't let anyone else know because I'm worried that they're going to think I'm being as dumb as I think I'm being. And so it's not easy to let down your guard and be vulnerable with people because our biggest fear is worrying that they are going to judge us just as much as we judge ourselves for what we mess up in, what we struggle in, how we're feeling. So I think the first thing that we need to build deep relationships is to be vulnerable with other people. I think the second thing um, that we need is commitment to the other person. Uh, I think James on this, being willing to, to value their good over our good sometimes. We have to be willing to sacrifice of ourselves, uh, some of our own wants, to be able to build a relationship. So what do you guys think it means to be committed to a person in a friendship? To, to commit to a person in a friendship. What do you guys think that means? What does that look like? Sorry. Okay, we'll need to drop whatever you're doing to help them if they need it. Yeah. For me, it's uh, standing by them to Yeah, standing by them to the end, no matter what they're going through, that you're not going to give up on them. What else? Yeah. Exactly. Time and energy, even when it's inconvenient, James? I mean, at least in our context, land on your life doesn't necessarily mean dying for them. What it does, it, it, it has to be, like, being willing to do a lot of things you don't want to do because they're the things the other person likes to do. Yeah. Down to that. Yeah. Um, to me, the biggest example of this, like, the, the way that I, I try to define it, is that you're willing to open yourself up completely to the other person. Right? And not just in a vulnerable sense, but you're willing to use um, 
every bit of your energy, you're willing to use every bit of your social power, every bit uh, of what you have to help this person, to encourage this person, to make this person feel like they can handle what they're struggling with. And so, for, for me, one of the biggest examples of that, and one of the biggest places that I often fail, is when I'm trying to reach out to other people, and try to make them feel welcomed, and comfortable, and I'm trying to make them feel like they have a place where they can be loved and cared for, oftentimes I, I, I try to reach out to people and do that, but it kind of stops, I, I stop thinking about it like that, when I have time with, with some of my close friends, right? I'm not willing to sacrifice some of my time with close friends by bringing someone else into that. And I think the problem there is a lack of commitment. I want to kind of keep them at arm's distance. I don't want to let them get too close into my personal time. Because that's time for myself. I'm just spending time with some friends, and I don't need to invite them because, you know, I'm not trying to spend time with them right now. But I think if I was really committed to a person and trying to make them feel welcomed and that they had a place to be loved, I would be interested in, in inviting them into that time with my close personal friends. That I'm willing to be completely open to them. I'm accessible, and, and, and they can come to me at any time, and they know that I'll be willing to listen and that I want to listen to what they have in their minds, to what they're struggling with, if they're afraid of something, if they're stressed out about something. And so I think we need to be totally committed to people that we're trying to build deep relationships with. Um, and then I think the last thing is trust. And I think a lot of you guys hit on this one in a big way when you talked about time or that it takes um, commitment and, and a lot of these things. I think that vulnerability and, and commitment over time build trust, right? But the thing is, I don't think that other people are usually willing to kind of break down their walls and be vulnerable. Other people aren't usually to, to commit to you in the way that we're talking about unless they trust you. And trust is a hard thing to give. I mean, because when you're trusting someone, what you're doing is you're giving them some power over yourself. You're giving them something that they can use to hurt you and just hoping that they won't. That's what trust is. And so it's hard to give trust, because when we know that when we're giving trust, someone could, could break that trust. They could use what we've given them to hurt us. But I, I think trust, just like the other two things on this list, are interesting. Because I think when it comes to, to, to building a deep relationship with non-Christians, that we need to be the ones who are willing to make the first move to be vulnerable, to be trusting, and to commit to the other person. Because when you think about it, our biggest fear when it comes to vulnerability is that someone else is going to judge us as much as we judge ourselves for our failures. And the non-Christian is thinking the same thing. That he doesn't want anyone to see him for who he is because he doesn't like himself and he's worried that other people won't like him if he lets down all his walls and everyone sees who he truly is. The only difference between us and the non-Christian is that we know that we have a God that cares about us. That sees our faults, that sees our failures, that sees when we're weak, when we struggle with something, when we're stressed over silly things and worried and having a hard time and we don't know what's going on, and that God loves us despite that. And so we can have confidence that despite how the other person reacts, we have someone that loves us no matter who we are. And so I think we should be the ones who are willing to make that first move in being vulnerable. Because in a relationship, somebody's always got to be the one to take that first step. Otherwise, you have this kind of surface-level relationship where you never really talk about anything deep or of value. And so I think we've got to be the ones who are willing to take that first step 
into being vulnerable. And the reason and how we can find the strength and courage to do that is because we know that no matter how the other person reacts to our faults and our failures, there is a God, a maker, and a creator who accepts us and loves us and sees us for who we can be. I think the same thing is true for commitment. It's hard to commit to to another person because you're worried about how it's going to stretch your time, how it's going to leave you feeling uh, like you don't have enough energy. It's tough to support and, and be committed to another person, to be encouraging, to be completely open to them, to invite them into every aspect of your life. And a non-Christian singing the same thing, right? It's tough to commit to a person, to open up your life, to be willing to encourage them, to set aside things, to sacrifice things for them. That's tough. And the only difference between us and the non-Christian is that we believe that God will give us the strength to follow through on those commitments. That, That committing to another person won't necessarily just put us over the edge and stress us out, but we believe that if it's God's will to be involved in this person's life, He will give us the strength to follow through on this commitment. I think commitment like vulnerability, somebody's got to be willing to take that first step. Or, or neither one of you are ever going to have a committed, deep relationship. You're just kind of, kind of skate on the surface of friendship. And the last one, trust. A hard one to give, and it takes time. But I think we have to be the first ones to trust other people. Trust them with, with our mistakes, trust them with, with what we're truly feeling, and trust them to be there for us and to care for us. And we give them a power to, to, to share what we've told them or to laugh at us when we tell them something that we think is important to us or to let us down when we put trust in, and hope in them. But we can do that because, again, we know that we have a God who will always be there for us. And so we have a reason and an ability to give that trust, I think, quicker than a non-Christian. And so I think that we, we use these things, and, and these three things, I think, are essential. If you don't have um, any of these three things in a relationship, I don't think it can be a deep relationship. And I think we as Christians are given the ability to, to give these things to people. And to give these things to be people, and to be patient, and wait for them to trust us back. To be vulnerable back. And to commit to us back. And I think it takes time, and it's not something we can easily just rush into. But I think these are the three things that we need to build a deep relationship. Um, so the next question we want to ask is, where do you build? Or where do you look to start building deep relationships? Where should you start looking for people who you can build deep relationships with? Um, and and I, I think the answer is everywhere that you see and are involved with non-Christians. And that sounds like a simple answer, um, but I mean, where do, you, where do you guys think that you are involved with non-Christians? Where do you see opportunities for you to start building deep relationships with non-Christians? Work. Work. That's a good one. Class? A lot of us, or, a lot of us already have surface level relationships with people who aren't. Christians, like, yeah. a lot of my friends from high school are. Yeah, and you kind of, like, it's easy to say, hey, and, like, how are you doing, and kind of, how's the weather, and, you know, like, have you been, that kind of thing, and catch up, but kind of being more intentional with that, and, and diving deeper. Does somebody else have something in the... Involvement on campus. Involvement on campus. Any social organizations you're involved with? Any clubs? Anything else? Roommates. Roommates. Something good one. Sometimes family. Family. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Um, those of you who know me know that I'm an introvert. 
Um, those of you who know me also know that I put my foot in my mouth quite often. Um, that I make really bad jokes that I think are funny, but that no one else finds funny. And so I... <laughs> and so, <laughs> do what? Uh, and so I think that... Um, I, I understand that, that it's, it's tough to be willing to kind of break down. See, that was, that was one of those moments. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I understand that it's tough to be willing to take that first step, right? To sit down in a classroom next to somebody and say, hey, like to me, that is an, like an exhausting and terrifying moment. Like to sit down next to somebody in class and say, hey, what's your name? And start talking to them. Like that is not something I, I am strong at. And it, it's exhausting and terrifying, and I just know I'm going to make a joke that is terrible because that's what I do. Um, it's just my sense of humor. And, and, um, and so I get it. It's tough. But I, I think the thing is that we have these opportunities everywhere, like you guys mentioned. But then when we start trying to think about how to build deep relationships with other people, we usually let a lot of things get in the way, and our mindset changes, and we kind of like... We say, oh yeah, well, I mean, there's people I'm in class with, but I mean, that's not really a place I can build deep relationships. We say, yeah, I mean, I'm involved on, like, in a social club on campus, but like, I mean, nobody there is interested in building a deep relationship with me. Or, you know, I go to work with non-Christians, but they don't really care what I have to say. They don't want somebody to listen to them. Or, or even, and, and this, I mean, this preposition terrifies me more than saying hey to somebody in class, but if you're walking through Foy and somebody's sitting at a table by, your, by themselves and you have an hour free for lunch, how crazy would it be if you just said, hey, do you mind if I join you for lunch? Like, that, that blows my mind. Like, just thinking about that, I get like the cold sweats. But, I know that some of you are extroverts. And that for some of you, like, you could handle that. Like, some of you guys are some of the most charming and caring and loving people I have ever met. In fact, most of you are. And that extends to non-Christians. I mean, like, you could sit down at a table and, and just and, and bond with somebody. I know that some of you can do that. And I think the reason that we don't take advantages of these different opportunities in class or, or in social organizations that we're involved in or at work or when we see somebody sitting by themselves is I, I think the reason that we don't take advantage of these a lot of times is fear. I'm afraid I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm afraid they're going to say no. I'm afraid that they're going to make me look dumb. And, and I, think it's, um, I think it's the one place in our lives that we let ourselves be continually fearful and we let it continually change our mindset. At least that's true for me. I let that continually terrify me so that every time I go into class, talking to the person next to me doesn't even seem like a real option. That every time I'm in a social setting with someone who's a non-Christian and I don't know that well, trying to get to know them better doesn't even seem like an option to me. Because what if I say something dumb? What if I put my foot in my mouth? What if they don't want to hear what I have to say? What if they reject me? What if it doesn't go anywhere? And it's interesting because I, I, I think that the, the simple solution is what if I just prayed before that moment and asked God, hey, if this is something you can use, then use it. And then had a little faith and stepped out and tried it. What if I just prayed, hey, next time I go into class... I'm going to try to talk to somebody that's sitting next to me. And, and if, if that's something that you can use, then work in that. And then go into class and have faith that everything will be okay. That God will look out for me. And just try to talk to the person next to me. And I think it's interesting. The worst thing that could happen, even if, they, even if I said, Hey, what's your name? And they said, Shut up, I don't want to talk to you. You're ugly and I hate you. I mean, that's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty harsh worst case scenario, right? Can you think of anything worse than that that somebody else might say? Maybe, but don't say it right now. Um... <laughs> Here's the thing. 
realize that God still loves you. Not much has changed in that moment when I stepped out on faith. God still cares for me, and He's still going to be looking out for me. Even if this person says something mean to me that's totally unwarranted. Even if it doesn't go anywhere. And I just don't have faith that if I put my foot in my mouth in front of a non-Christian, that if they reject me, that everything's still going to be okay. But that's, that seems crazy to me. And so I think the next thing that I need to focus on, in those moments when I'm so afraid of reaching out to a non-Christian, and the next time that you find yourself in one of those positions, I just ask that you pray, and then have a little faith that God will work in that, and that if it doesn't work, that He's still going to love you. Um, the very last thing we're going to talk about is why we build deep relationships with non-believers. What our motivation is for building relationships with non-believers. Where, where that should come from. Why we, why we should want to do that. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you can open them. Um, and if you want to start turning to Philippians chapter 2, um, that'd be great. While you're turning there, um, I'm going to go back to that story that I told at the very beginning about my, my one experience with building a deep relationship with a non-Christian. And, and at, at first, when I told that story, I told it from the perspective that I had at the time. But, but thinking more and growing more since then, and, and looking back at, at what it takes to build a deep relationship, and, and how we have to commit, and, and, and all these different things, if I look back and I judge the way I treated that relationship on this scale, I think I failed. I didn't treat this non-Christian friend like he was a person. I treated him like a project. How many, how many times does somebody have to come to Devo before they just ask me, hey, like, tell me about this Jesus guy. I would invite my friend to Devo over and over and over again, but there wasn't one moment where I took it to a personal level. And, and that sounds intimidating, but all that would have taken is, hey, what did you think of Devo? last Tuesday or, or hey uh, you know what did you think about this did you enjoy Devo simply inviting people to Devo can't be our, our evangelism strategy that takes no care for another person I don't have to care about a person at all to invite them to Devo I don't have to be vulnerable with another person to invite them to Devo I don't have to commit to them to invite them to Devo and I certainly don't have to trust them to invite them to Devo Instead, asking them questions about what they thought about Devo, or what their hopes are, or what their dreams are, or what they think about God, about religion, what experiences they've had in the past with that. That's caring about a person. And when I look back at this experience that I had with a non-Christian, my one experience that I've had of building a deep relationship, I, I can't even call it a deep relationship. Because I wasn't willing to commit to that level of vulnerability. I wasn't willing to trust him with what was going on in my life. I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and let down my walls and openly share what I was afraid of, what my hopes were, what my dreams were, what I believed in an honest way. And I was too afraid to broach those subjects, to talk about that. Because what if he rejected it? What if he shut it down? And so my motivation what didn't come from, from anything else other than I was just curious to see where it would go. Right? I mean, this guy was just a project that I was inviting to Devo over and over and over again, time and time again, until he just asked me this simple question. Okay, who is this Jesus guy? Or can I be baptized? Or do you want to do a Bible study? And so, my motivation was wrong. 
Because we shouldn't treat people like they're projects. We should treat people like they're people. We should treat people the way that Jesus treated the sinners. The tax collectors. The people who were the lowest of the lows. And the reason I had you turn to Philippians 2 is because it talks about Jesus' mindset when he came down to this earth. And I think from that we can gain and we can see what his motivation was for talking to sinners and why he wanted to build deep relationships with them. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, uh, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found as a, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so what we see there is the mindset that Jesus has when he comes down to this earth. And the mindset that he carries with him to the mission. And I think there's a couple of interesting things that we find there. Um, for example, it's not based off of vain conceit. Jesus wasn't friends with non-Christians to get more praise. Jesus didn't come down to this earth to get more praise. Because if he, if he wanted more praise when he came down to this earth, he could have come down to the earth and commanded everyone praise him, and they would have. So Jesus didn't come to this earth to get more praise. When Jesus left the very side of God to come down to this earth, he wasn't looking for more conversions. Because if he was, he could have come down here and just demanded that everyone believe in him, and they would have. So when Jesus came down to this earth, he wasn't looking for more conversions. And he certainly wasn't looking for projects. Little people he could fix up and tweak and make a little bit better. That he could handle all their little problems and, and feel better. Or that he could keep inviting them to certain things and just wait for, for something to happen. Because God made us. We're not projects to him. He knows everything about us. If he wanted to fix all of our problems, he could. So what's Jesus' motivation for coming down to the earth? Why did he come? Why did he spend time with sinners? Why did he spend time with tax collectors? The, the, the very bottom of the social totem pole. Why did he spend time with those people? And the answer is because he loved them. And he wanted them to know that God loved them too. And, and I think that it's interesting that, that we, we find, um, at least to me, my, my gut reaction to that, that, that our motivation should be just to love people. My gut reaction to that is to say no. That I, I, should be, I should be equally as worried as, as converting the person. But I think if we love someone, then as a byproduct of that, we want them to be converted. Right? Because we know that a better life is trusting in Jesus and believing in who He is. But it's not beating them over the head and doing whatever it takes to get them converted, but instead it's loving them and respecting them. It's interesting because 
I think that my motivation was really off. Because God loves every person. Uh, I was getting ready to, to, to plan this Devo. I mean, Friday before we left, I was thinking about it on my way to class. Um, the, the past couple of weeks, I've been really stressed out and, 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 and working hard on a lot of stuff. I've been living in, in a lifestyle of high stress. And I've been really strung out, and I was very busy, and my mind was very cluttered, and I wasn't focused at all. And I was walking to class just kind of thinking about this lesson and some of the stuff I wanted to say. And it was in between a class transition. And in, in a moment of, of, of clarity, my mind just kind of cleared up, and I had this thought that God loves each and every person as much as He loves me. And that doesn't seem like a novel thought. But I started walking to class, and every person I pass, I, anytime I walk to class, I, I keep my eyes down and I avoid looking at faces. It's what I do. I'm an introvert. But this time, I, I started walking to class, and each person's face I noticed. And I thought, God loves that person just as, he, just as much as He loves me. God loves that person just as much as He loves me. I actually passed an old staff professor who I didn't like at all, who I thought he gave terrible lectures and awful tests, but God loves that person just as much as he loves me. But here's the thing, is that some of those people, they don't know or they don't believe that. When I wake up in the morning and I'm extremely stressed, and I feel like I'm I'm just one more incident away from snapping, I know I can go to God and ask for strength, and that He'll listen, and that He cares about me, and that He loves me, and I can find comfort in that. But there's a good chance that in that class transition, one of the people who I passed, that I thought, God loves that person just as much as me, was just as stressed out as I was, and has no clue or doesn't believe that God loves them, that God cares about them. There's a good chance I passed somebody in that class transition that was struggling with depression. And they don't believe or know that God loves them. There's a good chance I passed somebody who had no clue what they were doing with their life. They felt so lost, they had no idea where to turn next, and they had no clue that God loved them or didn't believe it. And I think that is our job as non-Christian, that's where our motivation comes from in building deep relationships with non-Christians is we want them to know that they are loved and cared for by God. And we do that by showing them the love that God has for them. So for example, when you're building a deep relationship with a non-Christian and they talk about sin, you're supposed to show them God's love. So when they start talking about sin, we don't, we don't scoff at what they're doing. We don't judge them for what they're doing because that's, that's human love. Instead, we love them despite what they're doing because that's God's love. We, we love them for, for where they're at. Or we love them where they're at and see and love them for who they could be if they were made new by the grace and glory of God because that's how God loves us. He, looks, he loves us where we're at and He loves us for who we could be when we're made new by His grace and His glory. When, when, we're, when we're talking with someone and they share with us something deep and personal, we don't scoff at them because that's human love. We love them through it because that's God's love. When we trust someone with something and they break that trust, when they're not there for us, when they say something mean about us, when they laugh at one of the things that we're vulnerable about, 
We don't say, that's it, I'm, I'm done, I'm not talking to this person again, because that's human love. Instead, we love them despite that, because that's how God loves them. And so I think our motivation for all these different things, our motivation for building relationships with non-Christians, is that we want them to know that God loves them. Because He does. And that, that can change a person's life. When I look back um, at this relationship, at this story with this non-Christian friend that I had, I think about all the things that I let get in the way. I, I, it's, it's so abundantly clear to me that I didn't let love for him and, letting, um, and, and showing him God's love and letting him know that God loved him was my motivation. It becomes abundantly clear to me that that wasn't my motivation. Because I wasn't willing to be vulnerable with him. I didn't love him enough to be vulnerable with him. I didn't love him enough to commit to him or to trust him. And when I think about the, the fears that I had, they seem so small in comparison to the way that God loves him or he loves me. When I think about the fears that I had, they seem so small in comparison to how great, to how good, to how wonderful it would be if that friend had somehow acknowledged that God exists and had become a believer because I had said something. Those fears seem so small and so insignificant when we think about the fact that God loves us and that God loves the other person. And that that's what matters. And that that can change their lives. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to split up into community groups and kind of reflect on this some. Um, and, and it's, it's going to get kind of practical as we start to ask questions of, of where in your life can you reach out to these non-believers and where in your life um, can you start to build these deep relationships. Um, and I just ask that as we go through this, you remember, and as, as we return to Auburn and, and you start trying to live this out, that you remember that you are to love the other person because God loves them and try to show them that love. Um, so... Micah. When your are done, you have free time until uh, lunch is at 11.30. We'll be in the big room at 11.30 and we'll pray. 